Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. NBA Draft is tomorrow, so we are going to be taking some time today 
just to look at the top picks. Don't nearly have enough time after that whirlwind of a playoff run to get into every single guy available in this draft. There are a lot of guys out there who do have that the time to do that uh, kind of thing. And one of them actually happens to be our very own Carson. Um, I know he's done it a little bit more in years past. That said, this is his favorite time of year, and this is right up his wheelhouse. And so I'm very, very excited to be bringing Carson on today to talk about just the top guys in this year's draft, uh, mainly the top five players that I see in this set. Now, before we get started and before I bring Carson on, I wanted to take just a couple of minutes to talk about something that I've always paid very close attention to in the draft because I do think it's very interesting. You know, every NBA team, even poorly run NBA teams like the Lakers, have a scouting department who they don't care about what's happening, you know, when the Lakers are preparing to play the Orlando Magic or or what's going on with free agent signings or things along those lines. For the most part, they pay attention to collegiate basketball players and they look or overseas basketball players or players who are out of the league in some capacity and they look for opportunities to add talent to their teams. So that goes to the top of the draft all the way down to the undrafted uh, players around the world. And yet they still make mistakes all the time. And, you know, Andrew Wiggins is a great example of that, of a player who was taken number one that has played a lot more like somebody who's towards the tail end of the lottery, right? And the short answer is, is no matter how hard you work at this stuff, you met, you have misses. And there are four really quick reasons why I wanted to, uh, that I wanted to point as to why that kind of thing happens. One is situation. You know, look at Andrew Wiggins as an example there. And him being in Minnesota on a poorly run team alongside stars and other players that didn't really bring the best out of him. And then he goes to Golden State. He gets around a smart team. He fits into a role that makes more sense to him, and he immediately takes off. Then you have injuries. I mean, we look at Markel Fultz. He has some sort of weird shoulder issue, and then suddenly he has to reconstruct his jump shot form, and his entire game falls apart. Or after that, he finally goes down to Orlando and kind of settles in a little bit, and he gets hurt. That kind of thing can happen. Number three, like your work ethic. It's very, very difficult, especially for a guy like me, who is only taking a short amount of time in the year to try to analyze this kind of thing. It's difficult to get a feel for a player's work ethic, especially when they're young. There are a lot of players who suddenly, right around age 22, 23, something clicks for them in terms of their maturity, and they step things up a certain amount. When you're evaluating them when they're 18... It can be difficult to make those types of judgment calls. And then last but not least, and this is to me one of the most important things and one of the most difficult things to evaluate in a young player, but their competitive nature. You know, there are, it's kind of like that fight or flight response that we always talk about. I played against a lot of really high-level basketball players in my career, uh, guys who played in the NBA, guys who play elsewhere overseas, and guys who got close or guys who flamed out. And, you know, there's always a sliding scale there between a guy that when you step to them, when you challenge them, when you put them in a situation where they have to fight out, they either fight or there are guys that are more willing to disappear into the background. And those guys that disappear, they end up being the kinds of players where you're watching a 48-minute basketball game and 10, 15 minutes can go by and you forget they're even involved. Whereas the real fighters out there are always scratching and clawing for every single advantage on the court, and it is readily apparent on the screen. And those four things are the main reasons why so many draft uh, picks get missed over the years, and it's very, very difficult to interpret those things. So one of the, the main things that we're going to be focused on today 
are things that are absolutely measurable and discernible on tape, like their physical tools, their skill sets, the way that their specifics tools and skill sets can factor in to an NBA team right now and what they could potentially develop into in the future. But I just wanted to uh, take a couple of minutes to go over that because I do think it's a very interesting dynamic that takes place in the NBA draft. Um, before I uh, get started here, I wanted to bring on Carson. Um, Carson, it's good to see you again. I know we didn't get to see you too much during the NBA Finals, but it sure is good to see you right now. How are you doing? Yeah, man? well, it is great to be here. And like you said, this is my favorite time of the year. And I think this is a really interesting class that we have. We've had a few strong classes over the last few years. And this one certainly, I think, is uh, comparable in the caliber of guys. And the top is really interesting as well. So I'm pumped to talk about all of it. Yeah, and there are like some straight up home run picks in there yeah. too. Like, like it's it remains to be seen how great they will be. But they're, you know, I, I think the top three guys in particular are guaranteed yeah. uh, quality mm -hmm. NBA players. Uh, quick funny story: I was I was having a beer with a buddy of mine uh, that I hadn't seen in a little while uh, yesterday, and I showed him your TikTok page, and like I've always been so blown away. Uh, by your memory, but we were watching your Aaron Brooks one, mm -hmm. the one where uh, where they were reading Aaron Brooks's resume. Yeah, and like my buddy and I were like shooting guesses out as you were going, and you're kind of methodically working through it. And I was just telling him, I'm like, I'm like, dude, this is what this guy does. He's just <laughs> a, he's an encyclopedia uh, with this kind of knowledge. So uh, to get you know, I looked at eight or nine players over the course of the last few days. Um, the seven that I thought separated themselves and had a case to be in the top five were Benedict Matherin, who came through uh, the University of Arizona in my local hometown, Tucson, uh, Keegan Murray out of Iowa, uh, Shaden Sharp out of uh, out of the G League. Or he was, excuse me, he was at Kentucky and he ended up not playing this year. Then there's Jaden Ivey out of Purdue, uh, Jabari Smith out of Auburn. Um, Chet Holmgren out of Gonzaga and Paolo Bonchero out of Duke. Those were the seven that I considered. Uh, if we have time at the end, we could talk a little bit about uh, why the two that I left out were left out. Uh, but I'm going to start from the top down and just kind of give my two cents and then we'll go back and forth. And I'm really curious to hear your opinion on these guys. So I know there's a lot of debate about who's going to go number one. I know there's a decent amount of reporting that says it's going to be Jabari Smith. Uh, my initial interpretation is I view him lower than that. We'll get there in, in a minute. To me, the best prospect that I noticed uh, in my time watching film um, was Paolo Banchero. And there are a couple of specific reasons why. I mean, he definitively, unquestionably, has a lower defensive ceiling than Chet or Jabari. That goes without saying. Um, but like I've always talked about, uh, on my show. And then as Colin and I talked about a lot during the finals, I do believe that it is easier to coach a player up to become a fun functional defensive player, especially if he's surrounded by the requisite talent and, and, and to focus his offensive energies in a ways that are more, in ways that are more impactful than it is to do the reverse. And we will get to that specifically when we get to Chet and Jabari, because I do think there's chances with both of them that they become role players, guys who are very, very good role players because they don't they potentially have some limitations on the offensive end. In my opinion, Paolo is on the low end uh, a guy who will one day average 20 points a game in the NBA. He actually reminds me in terms of a ceiling uh, of Carmelo Anthony. Now, I don't see it anywhere near the perimeter flashes yet in terms of the fact that like when Carmelo was at Syracuse, 
he was a gunner from the perimeter and deadly out there. Uh, Paolo's more a guy that shows flashes, but he's still streaky out there. Uh, where I really see it is the face-up game and the arsenal of moves in the mid to short range. And I always talk about how the short range is kind of like under under evaluated, underutilized in the NBA. Those are those like little floaters and push shots and hooks and things that are like crafty finishes around the basket. And I've, I was super impressive impressed by just the overall versatility of Paolo's uh, uh, offensive approach, his ability to um, to use his body for leverage to get closer to the rim. His, he's got all the turnaround fadeaways and step backs. He's got the hesitation pull up jump shots off the dribble, and he's got everything around uh, around the rim. But his overall face of approach reminds me of Carmelo. The scary thing is he doesn't quite have that great first step. And as a result of that, I think he's going to become a guy who has to turn his back to the basket often. And that will put a lot of pressure on him over the first five, six years of his career to really develop his ball handling more and his shooting more. Because if you do not have a first step that can consistently compromise that initial defensive player, like let's pretend Andrew Wiggins is guarding him. If you don't have the first step to get that initial separation, you have to be incredibly sharp with your handle, your change of pace, and your shot making ability, which I do think he's capable of with his size and strength. But those are those are just I have a couple other notes that I want to hit on, but that was just my initial takeaway. Where are you at right now with Paolo Carson? I think Paolo is an incredibly unique and really impressive prospect. He's actually not my number one guy in this class. He is my number two, though. But I completely agree with you in terms of the point about offensive development and vision there because the mellow comparison is interesting. When I watch Paolo, the guy who I see the most similarity to that has been a star at the NBA level in recent times is probably Julius Randle. I think the big distinction is that Paolo is bigger, he's more dynamic athletically, and I think he has much more ability to be versatile within an offense, whereas Randall kind of has tried to religiously stick to that point forward role and force the issue and rely on the really tough mid-range shot making, all that stuff that we saw go really south this year as compared to two years ago when he was a legitimate all-NBA guy. I just think Paolo has more ways in which he can kill you. I mean, he is kind of the dream modern wing big hybrid offensively because I think you can initiate in so many different ways from him, right? He can be that point forward and stretches. His playmaking is good enough. His pull-up jump shooting is good enough. Needs to be a little bit more consistent, but he's confident, he's willing, and he's certainly solid. But you can also use him as a role man. You can use him to pop because he has the ability to score on all three levels. And he can be a dynamic lob threat. Like he's a 6'10, 250 legitimate plus athlete with High-level basketball skill, too. It needs to be refined. His decision-making needs to be a little better. You know, taking care of the ball can be a little bit better. He needs to get more efficient as a scorer overall, and that's really a product of shot selection and some of the pure jump-shooting ability. But the tools are there. I completely agree with you. If he doesn't score 20 a game at the next level, I will be surprised. In the defense, I mean, he has the tools. You never know completely with these guys because so often guys are just lagging behind on defense and they don't come into the league as high impact guys, obviously, but Paolo has the tools. He's a good athlete with a seven, one wingspan. He moves his feet pretty well. So I think if you see him committed consistently, he's a good defensive playmaker. Like I think he has good hands. So I think he should be a star. If he's not a star, I think that that's disappointing. But the reason I don't have him number one, I think is just a testament to the strength of this class. And like, 
We're just seeing crazier prospects every year. You know, guys like Paolo have rarely existed, you know, to come in at this size and level of athleticism and also basketball skill. It's crazy. And I absolutely think he should be a star. You know, that that uh, that last part is super, super interesting because, you know, I was thinking the same thing as I was watching the film this morning is like basketball players are getting so damn good. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so ridiculous. Like I used to think of like, you know, a certain level of skill as a differentiator, you know, like when you see a player, it used to be like when we were younger, you know, like you'd watch uh, Jabari Parker go down the lane for Duke and, and do this wild hesitation left to right and then do like an up and under finish off the glass. And you'd be like, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. I can't believe we just saw a 6'10 guy do that. And now it's like, if you can't do right. that, I'm not sure you can play in the league anymore. It's like, it's crazy how the league is developed. And here we are looking at the top of this draft. And I've got three massive uh, basketball players who are all incredibly skilled already for their position, some more than others. The other thing you said that I thought was really interesting is that big wing hybrid. And this is a key, you know, as we get into the positionless league, it's not so much that, you know, uh, it's all the same position. It's more just that the positions have kind of melded into combinations of each other, right? Like instead of it being like kind of one, two, three, four, five, it's more like, it's more like guard wing, wing and big wing. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And what's what's interesting about the idea of a big wing is they kind of have a different level of mismatch potential than a normal wing does. So for instance, like look at how Andrew Wiggins was able to contain Jason Tatum in a good defensive scheme because he had the physical tools to match what Jason Tatum was doing. And then you even saw Clay Thompson, who didn't even have the same set of physical tools as Jalen Brown, have a ton of success containing Jalen Brown over the course of that series because Jalen Brown did not have that back-to-the-basket game to punish with his size. And, uh, and even if Tatum did, he just doesn't have the physical tools over an Andrew Wiggins. You know, like that type of player, that type of wing defender against Paolo might be too small. And he might have the ability to get to fight for position in certain spots on the floor where his handle doesn't matter as much, a la Mello in a face-up roll, 17, 18 feet from the basket. And suddenly it's like, even if he does a hard dribble to the right and Wiggins cuts him off, he can bump him, turn his back, and immediately have an arsenal of moves to go to where Wiggins can't defend him because he's a, just a touch too small. And, 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 you know, in the modern NBA, when you go five out, and it becomes matchup attacking, I think that can be a huge weapon. Because even Steph Curry on switches was having success sitting on Tatum and Brown's right hand and forcing them into step backs and things along those lines. A, a back to the basket game is so rare in the NBA, the NBA these days. And it's not just post up back to the basket fade away over both shoulder it's kind of like the lebron thing where it can be like a full court post up where you're turning your back and spinning and going into moves and hooks and things along those lines so i just in general also that uh, i didn't even uh hear about his wingspan that's crazy over seven foot wingspan that's a, another good piece for him defensively that kind of means at the very least he can be a decent positional defender that can force people to shoot over the top by giving ground you know what i mean so i I I I'm really curious to see. So I'm I'm gonna guess I'm gonna guess Carson that your number one is Chet Holmgren. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So let's do this. Explain to me why you would take Chet over Palo, not just as a player, but also specifically for Orlando, who 
seems to be having plenty of lengthy defensive athletes and not enough offensive creation. So this is true. However, I would argue that Orlando drafting based on their current roster in kind of every any way is probably short sighted beyond like you know, trying to get another Cole Anthony, but even it's like nobody to me on the Orlando magic roster is irreplaceable. So I think they should be in best player available mode. Fundamentally. Uh, it, it certainly seems like they're going to take Jabari. That's what really all the reporting is right now. And uh, Jabari Smith is a very good prospect, but when it comes to Chet, I think what you said is really interesting about how you can see both Chet and Jabari becoming kind of just role players offensively. Whereas Paolo, you don't see that path. I think the thing is, if Chet's a role player offensively, it's a damn good role player, like a 15 to 18 point per game score still, because he just is so perfectly built in terms of his skill set to fit in as a modern NBA big. I think like, obviously everybody will talk about the fact that he's 195 pounds. That's a problem, but his blend of athleticism and skill is completely ideal. Like he's a 39% three point shooter. So the pick and pop game is absolutely lethal. He's legitimately very quick for his position and is a slippery lob threat and a massive target in there because the guy is huge and ridiculously long. So it's just like playing off of good NBA guards. Well, great. You feed him anywhere. He's a 39% three-point shooter. He shot 74% on twos in college. And okay, somebody closed out hard on him. He's quick enough to attack the closeout. His ball handling is easily good enough for him to go out and make you pay there. He even has a little bit of that intermediate game. So I just think Chet is not going to be an offensive centerpiece to me. I don't think Chet is ever a 25-point-per-game score. I don't think it is, hey, we're running tons of offense through him in the post because I don't know that he'll ever be strong enough to have that really high-level back-to-the-basket game. What I think it is is like, hey, we have a guy who is a better Christian Wood offensively and is also, by the way, a really good positional passer, and I think we'll see more and more of that in the league, who is also like potentially best defensive player alive because he is just an absolute freak on that end. I mean, I don't know that we have seen a better shot blocker in college since Anthony Davis, 3.7 a game. It's unbelievable. And he is so incredibly instinctual there. His length is unfathomable. Like he can just block a shot from anywhere. He's perfect as a help side rim protector. He fared shockingly well against really good post scores. Like obviously everything is different in the league. Like Joel Embiid is a different beast. Nikola Jokic, those guys are going to cook him when he comes into the league. But because of his positional instincts, and his length, and just his IQ, like, I forget the exact number, but he held people to a really low field goal percentage uh, out of the post this year. So I just think he is an all-encompassing defensive weapon because he's crazy switchable. Like, for his size, I mean, he's so good on his feet. And again, that length can just affect people from anywhere. So that's what it is to me is he's too skilled and too athletic to be a non-factor offensively. In fact, you know, there's only, Jason, like, how many offensive big men are there who are the centerpiece of their teams in the league right now? Like, like centers. Two? Yeah, I think it's three. I think it's Embiid, Jokic, and Cat. And so, oh, Carl Towns. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't think it's realistic to look for one of those guys in every draft. More often, what we see is that the most valuable big men who are outside of that. Oh my God, it's Jokic or it's Embiid tier. Is they're great defensive players and they're really good, efficient, versatile offensive players. I think Chet is that to the extreme. And yeah, I mean, I understand the weight thing, but I just think he is such a optimized modern center in every other way. So I'm very high on Chet. I think he's an exceptional, exceptional prospect. 
the weight thing just doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I, I, first of all, I can't tell you how many times on tape I saw a player attempt to cave his chest. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Then successfully do so. Try to go up and then still yes. get blocked. <laughs> exactly. He's just, so, he's, just, he's just so impossibly long. You know, I... I, I, I've heard the comp of, you know, Rudy Gobert with offense. Mm-hmm. That's the one that everyone keeps throwing around. You know, in general, I think Robert Williams, the Celtics use Robert Williams as a great example of this too. Like, you know, the truth of the matter is, is there are not any defenders in the league except for maybe one or two that can successfully guard an Embiid or a right. Jokic. So like we're talking like Anthony Davis or Gobert or Giannis might be the only three guys in the league that can go head up with a guy like that and, and contain them to a certain extent. So like the idea of Chet Holmgren being able to guard those guys who cares? Yeah. Like, I don't expect anybody mm-hmm. to. I see them defensively. I, I, the way Boston used Robert Williams in the playoffs, I thought was really interesting. Consistently putting in a, him in a position where he can roam, where it's not about what he can do in an isolation situation. It's more just he's kind of flying around just making plays defensively. And I could see Chet, especially early in his career, when he doesn't have the the physical tools to really hang in a... Uh, in a bully ball situation, I could see him doing a lot of that roaming. And, and most importantly, like you guys know, I'm super high on five out basketball. I think it's the best way to successfully allow your slashers to have opportunities to be comfortable on offense. And even it, like a, a, one of the subplots of the finals was Robert Williams was playing so well defensively that they played him big minutes and consistently throughout the playoff run. Whenever Rob Williams was on the floor, the Celtics sucked on offense and whenever he was, whenever he was off the floor, they were great on offense. And the reason why is they went five out without Horford kind of tucked in the corner or on top of the key. So point being, like having a center who can successfully do what Robert Williams does, 
but also has the ability to, one, stretch the floor in a five-out situation, two, attack closeouts, because that dude can put the basketball on the floor and make plays. I'm glad you pointed out his passing. Him getting all those reps in high school as an on-ball player, I think, are so important in this specific situation. And most importantly, he could push the break at the rebound mm-hmm. and bring the ball up the floor and hang in an up-and-down style of game because he has the foot speed uh, to be able to do that. So I- I'm with you. I'm- I am very high on him. The thing, again, like that concerns me is I just I've seen way too many times that the guy who ends up determining these series is that top, top, top end offensive talent. Now, here's the thing. There's no guarantee that Paolo is going to be mellow, mm-hmm. you know, like, for instance, there are a lot of players around the league that have kind of similar skills. This is going to don't take this comp seriously because it's not a direct comp. I'm just focusing on a specific thing. But Kyle Kuzma, for instance, doesn't didn't have a great first step. And had these scoring flashes where when his jump shot was going and his handle was going, he looked like an all-star. But his handle and jump shot were so inconsistent that he was monstrously inconsistent because he couldn't consistently beat people off the dribble. So there's a lot up in the air for Paolo. And obviously, he's a way better player than Kuzma was. But that similar dynamic I could see being an issue if he doesn't develop in that first five, six years of his career. Whereas Chet Holmgren, it's like... Rudy Gobert with offense is like a guaranteed floor for right. him. So like you, you're you're gonna get that really high level play at him. So I do think you're. I, I guess I'll give you this. I think he's a safer number one overall pick. Mm-hmm. But I but I I think I personally would go for the fences with with Paolo. So um, first of all, why in the world do you think Orlando wants to take Jabari Smith first? That's a really good question, and I don't know because I. I think Jabari is really good, but I think he is a clear third guy to me. I do too. I do too. Like, I mean, he's right out the gates, three and D guy, right? Yeah. But like, and he has a star ceiling, but like we were talking about how Paolo needs to develop his handle and become more consistent as a jump shooter. But like Jabari Smith's handle right now is weak yes. by NBA standards. Um, I don't know if there's an NBA wing in the world right now that wouldn't have trouble holding him in his spot because of his weaker handle at this point. I, you know, and what worries me is like, would you be the least bit shocked if Jabari Smith turned into Mikhail Bridges? No. Now, Mikhail, Mikhail Bridges is a great basketball player. I think he finished second in defensive player of the year voting this year, close to that. I can't remember exactly what it was. Mikhail Bridges is a great player. But what happened this year when Devin Booker started to struggle and Chris Paul basically went down? Like, Mikael Bridges wasn't capable of creating offense at a high enough level. And so, you know, my thing is like, there's obviously a version of his story where he becomes a much, much better player than he is. He's already a fantastic shooter with audacity rivaling the greatest shooters in the league. He just is some of the uh, footage on him of him on tape. His coaches had to have been like, like, like he will just dribble the ball up the floor, and take contested threes, like not even not even off a step back. Like he'll just elevate and go because he's so much taller and more athletic than everybody. And it's it, it's it's a super intriguing player. But I just see him having potentially the lowest floor mm. out of these three guys. And, and that's what concerns me the most. That's interesting, because I actually think his floor is a really good basketball player because of two things. He is such an exceptional shooter. I mean, 42% from deep at 6'10", and like you said, it's off movement. It's from everywhere. It's ridiculous. It's highly contested all the time. He's an otherworldly shooter. So because of that, and because of the fact that he has a really good defensive tool bag, 7-1 wingspan, legitimate defensive playmaker, was over a steal and a block a game, moves his feet really well, and is a high motor, he's a good positional rebounder. To me, it's like 3 and D. 
he'll be very good. I don't see how he doesn't score 15 a game efficiently and isn't a really good defender. Where I actually struggle beyond that is seeing the likely path for him to some sort of superstar ceiling. Because I understand that people look at the pure shot making and they think that it is Durant-esque or whatever, like reminiscent of you know the great wings. The problem is he does not separate in any way because his first step is not remotely impressive for his position. And like you said, I mean, his handle is so far away. He's upright. It's awkward. It's not controlled. And he's not even close to a standout playmaker. He's not a good passer at this point. So it's like, yeah, the pure shot is there, but you need so much more than that if you're going to be an offensive centerpiece as a wing. And I just think Jabari has a really long way to go. And it's not honestly easy for me to see him figuring all that out. Yeah, no, he's he's clearly in the top three, but to me, he's clearly number three, and he's far too risky to take number one. Like, how can you? Uh, how can you? And there's there's all sorts of intel. Like, there's intel that Orlando might trade down to get him and things along those lines. My my thing is like with prospects like Chet and Paolo on the on the board. I don't know how you could go for a player like Jabari. You you talk to uh, the the awkwardness is what stands out to me most on film. There is a, you know, cuz we're going to we're going to get to this a little bit here in just a second with Jaden Ivy and Shaden Sharp. Um, but like there's a there's a certain amount of polish and fluidity that separates the top level scores from the guys just beneath them. For instance, like I'll give you like on the top level, it's the difference between Kevin Durant and LeBron. Like as LeBron is a very good scorer and he's the second best basketball player ever to play the game. But optically, there's an obvious difference in fluidity between him and Kevin Durant in the smoothness with which he gets to his moves. And, and, and I, I do think that that does end up manifesting in something like, I do think Kevin Durant's a better scorer than LeBron. Mm-hmm. Not statistically, because LeBron's more of a power player, but in terms of his like fluidity as a scorer, he has an edge there. And so I, I just think like, in general, like, and here's the other thing. Last thing I'll say about Jabari since before we move forward, handle in particular, it, there's a reason why there's so many great players around the league that have weak handles. It is the most tedious and boring thing to work on, and the progress is slow. Like, ju- it's very similar to jump shooting in that the progress is very slow. Like, you have to shoot thousands of jump you have to shoot like a thousand jump shots every day every summer for years to get to the point where you're a functional uh like dependable nba three-point shooter the difference is, is it's fun to go up to the gym and shoot you put some music on <laughs> you shoot all day but like when, when it comes to like doing legit ball handling drills at game speed usually with usually it helps to have someone there hitting you to add contact because handling just ask Jalen brown how easy it is to dribble when someone's hitting at your arms like you, like you, th- that that left that type of development is so tedious that when I see a guy like Jabari Smith, I'm like, he's got so long to go yeah. for that handle to become functional that it just it just seems like more of a long shot to me. He he um, regularly so go ahead. He regularly turns his back to the basket because he's so uncomfortable with his handle. And exactly the last number I'll say that I think is troubling with him is he was 43 and a half percent on twos. It's like, if you're going to be a great scorer, you got to get the easy stuff. You can have the beautiful, difficult shot making and the turnarounds and the crazy threes off movement or whatever, but you got to be able to get to the rim. You got to be able to get to the line. And he just really struggled. I mean, he's actually pretty crafty drawing fouls on jump shots, but like the easy stuff exploding to the cup, just getting by people, getting those easy twos. He doesn't really do yet. So I'm with you. I think we have a lot of the same concerns about Jabari. 
with his physical tools, that's inexcusable in terms of that low of a percentage. I shouldn't say inexcusable. It's just not a good yeah. sign. Um, I, I liked what you said earlier, too, where you were like, it's like he's not getting separation. He's just shooting over the top. And you see that a lot on like his post-up fadeaways where it's like a good post-up fadeaway. You pound the basketball and hit someone in the chest to create initial separation. And then you spin either way into the shot. And usually if you get really good lift and you hit them hard enough, you'll not only get a, a, a shot off, you'll get a great high quality fadeaway off. He, he kind of just turns and fires and he's getting smothered. He just happens to be so damn mm-hmm. big and such a good shooter that he could knock some of them down. And I think that honestly leads to how he draws fouls. Um, so the two guys that I cut out were Keegan Murray and Ben Matherin. I think Ben Matherin is a lesser version of Shaden Sharp or Jaden Ivey in a lot of different ways. And I'll explain why in a second. Keegan Murray, to me, uh, athletically, I think he's going to have a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and his he to me to me he will be a very good NBA role player, but I just don't see him as having anywhere near the upside as these other guys have. So to me, it was a tough decision between Jaden Ivey or Shaden Sharp to go with number four. And I ended up I ended up going with Jaden Ivey, but I do think Shaden Sharp has a higher ceiling. What concerns me with Shaden Sharp is he kind of reminds me of Kevin Porter Jr. a little bit, in the sense that. The the highlights and the flashes are so, so good. But at the end of the day, he's addicted to the difficult jump shot. His shot profile is that of a... Uh, it, it, like he hunts the most difficult shots on the floor. And he he kind of fits the profile of like the bigger athlete, but the one that's a little bit more thin and spindly, easily easier to knock off of his line. Whereas Jaden Ivey is like that power athlete. He almost reminds me of Dwayne Wade in the sense that his center of gravity is low. He takes these long steps. Guys bounce off of him. When I talk about center of gravity, low center of gravity means it's it really is just like fancy speak for when you're on a line if you run into somebody do they bump off of you or do you bump off of them like to me that it's what brings power to athleticism and i do think i think Jaden ivy is the right kind of nba athlete the combination of power with the low center of gravity the vertical athleticism and the size and length to be good but i just don't think Jaden ivy is nearly as polished from the perimeter of shade and sharp right now but shade and sharp it's like dude how many times have we seen a guy like kevin porter jr who has all the skill who has the shot making but for whatever reason it just doesn't amount to an impactful basketball player i also think Jaden ivy is a better defensive player at this point uh but what, what what's your initial takeaway on those two guys uh, after that I'll, I'll i'll ask you if you would replace them entirely but with those two guys, what do you like or dislike about them, and which one would you take over the other? I would take Ivy as well. I think he's a pretty clear fourth guy, and I think he's just got a lot of skill offensively. You know, you mentioned the athleticism, and I think he also has really nice change in pace. I think he maneuvers traffic really well. I just think he's like a great paint guard and he has the big time pull-up jump shooting his percentages weren't always great we'll see exactly what they end up being at the league but I mean the shot creation is there right he can get the shot that he wants it's just a matter of making it consistently but in the lane I just think he's crafty and he kind of gets what he wants and I also think you know he probably has more of a playmaking ceiling I think he's too chaotic as a passer right now is kind of the word I would describe I don't think he always has a plan But I think that that stuff will probably develop. And Sharp, I think, is really interesting because I think he belongs in the top five. 
But at the same time, you know, he's kind of a bigger question mark just because we haven't seen him for a year. And I mean, he was the top prospect in the class. So, you know, a guy like that always has the potential to be an absolute stud. It's just you're going to naturally fall a bit when people don't see you. But I mean, I agree with a lot of you said really impressive athlete. I think that the jump shot with him is like very legitimate. I think it's kind of all the tools are there for him to be a really high level scoring wing. It's just strange when the last time you saw a guy play was, you know, against high school talent. Like it's it's a weird dynamic with him. I still think his talent alone is evident on that tape where he should be fifth, but I wouldn't be comfortable taking him higher than that. To me, the not playing thing is a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, and I put that in my notes for Jaden Ivy. Like, like I, I, I talked earlier about the four things that that are difficult or more difficult to scout, and the reason why people have misses in front offices. And Jaden Ivy has this readily apparent competitive fire. Mm. Like he attacks every basketball game, and I just kind of think about like if I was in Shaden Sharp's position. And I'm not, and again, I'm not trying, I'm just saying I disagree. So I'm not, his, this might end up being the best decision he ever made to mm-hmm. not play. Um, but like, there's no way in hell you're keeping me off of basketball. Yeah. Like, if I'm healthy, I don't care if I've got an agent knocking down my door saying, hey, dude, don't play so you can get rich. I'm like, that's great. I want to play basketball. Yeah. And it, if, and I sure as hell want to play basketball for Kentucky. Yeah. So get me out on that court. It, you know, yeah, but the the jump shot is the huge differentiator in terms of the skill sets right now. Like Jaden Ivy has a l- just a little bit of a hitch, mm-hmm. and it's very in front of his face as opposed right. to up higher. Yep. What concerns me with that is he's he's getting it off now, but against dominant NBA perimeter athletes on the on the defensive end, I think that higher release point that's a little bit more fluid that Shaden Sharp has is a more realistic jump yep. shot for him to be able to get off. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem, so like I see on the low end, Jaden Ivy being kind of like a Eric Gordon type of player, like a box, like like tr- built like uh-huh. a fridge type of smaller guard who has a really good jump shot when he's set. Because like Eric Gordon, everyone always jokes Eric Gordon has like the dream jump shot for him because his his elbow is perfectly tucked and it's very mechanical. But Eric Gordon had a slow release right. and Eric Gordon had a little bit of a hitch. Right. And so as a result, he didn't have the ability to get as into his jump shot as fluidly as some of the better guards around the league do. So like it's it's a tough one for me. Like I would take Jaden Ivey, but I wouldn't be the least bit. I mean, J- Jaden Sharp has potential to be the best prospect in this entire class. Like everyone keeps comparing him. He himself compares himself to Devin Booker and Bradley Beal. He's twice the athlete yeah. that either of those he guys is. are. And so, like, there's a version of that story with Shaden Sharp where he's flat out better than the than than any of those guys ever could be. So it's really interesting. So before we get out of here, I, I wanted to hear your opinion. What would your what would your top five look like? Mm-hmm. And if you have a different guy in that top five than I did, give me your two cents on them. So the only switch for me would be Chet and Paolo. So I would go Chet one, Paolo two, Jabari three, Ivy four, and then Sharp five. I think that Keegan Murray is interesting. I agree with you in terms of the athletic limitations. I mean, he is a beautiful, incredibly skilled offensive basketball player and, you know, a real defensive playmaker too. And like a versatile guy, I think he'll be really good at the next level, but uh, he's old and he doesn't have a ton of room to grow in my opinion. So I like him a lot, but I don't think he belongs in the top five. Matherin is, I mean, in terms of just, if you're looking at two things, which is 
explosive athleticism and really impressive three-point shooting, which can kind of be the launching point for any wing to just being a good player. He's got those two things in droves. I don't have quite as much confidence as him beyond that compared to the, the only guy who you didn't mention who I would say is in this same tier. You had in a tier of seven. I would say there's a tier of eight, and I would include Dyson Daniels in that, who was G League okay. Night guy, just because I think he's got really impressive feel for the game, and I think is really versatile, and he did not shoot the ball well from three. I think he was 25% in the G League over 14 games. That's, to me, kind of the only issue. I mean, the form looks okay, it does. though. It does look okay. And yeah, I just think defensively, I mean, he projects well, he's got good size. He's a pretty good athlete. You know, he's not Matherin level, certainly, but, and then he has like real playmaking feel where you see him having these close to triple double games and he can just kind of control things as a wing. So those would be my couple guys, but I agree with the top five. I think that sharp ceiling is too high to leave him off because after that, it's like, you know, the best version of Keegan Murray or of Dyson Daniels. I just don't think it can approach the best version of Sharp with that blend of pure athleticism and shot making. Yeah, no, I agree. I I'll, I think Dyson Dyson Daniels probably belongs on this list as well. I'd allow that. I uh, I, I I must have been doing something right, Carson, because our list looks pretty <laughs> similar. And I take that and I respect your opinion very much. One last note before we get out of here. Uh, Ke- the, one of the things that impressed me so much about Keegan Murray that I think is going to be a really uh, a powerful weapon at the NBA level, I'm not sure I've ever seen an uh, a young basketball player. And I know he's older than typical mm-hmm. college players, but I'm not sure I've ever seen a young player other than post players because you'll see guy, you know, guys like Jaleel Okafor that have this type of skill set. But it's very rare to see a young basketball player who's primarily a wing, even though he's kind of like a wing big, mm-hmm. uh, kind of uh, like Paolo is. He, who's this comfortable with his back to the basket? Mm-hmm. He 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 can turn over both shoulders. He can keep his dribble alive. He's uh, really good at finishing over the top of smaller defenders when he's closer to the basket with those like classic bank shots, uh, like half hook bank shots. And then he's incredible with deep seals. Like he's very good at g- obtaining quick post position and then getting a catch and quickly scoring, making himself available mm-hmm. for a post entry in a quick score. That I think. He's the kind of guy that, like, I could see a guy like Keegan Murray. He won't make it to Golden State, but I could see a guy like that thriving for a really smart basketball team that is good at getting players like him uh, easy opportunities elsewhere on the floor. Um, All right, guys, that is all we have for today. Carson, you were amazing. That was exactly what I was hoping to get from you today, and you knocked it out of the park. Um, As always, I appreciate your guys' support. Enjoy the draft, and we will see you guys probably on Friday or Saturday. volume Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere like at your pregame barbecue while you prep your meats that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch garage and the car inside and without the right home and auto insurance coverage the cost to repair this could eat up your savings so bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover... 
Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 